If there's a single verse of scripture that encapsulates the message of Christmas, it must certainly be John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those words came from the pen of the Apostle John, who in his later years became known as the Apostle of Love. As a young man, however, he was not so known. In fact, he was known for his explosive temper, and Jesus nicknamed him and his brother James the Sons of Thunder. Now, that's a great name for a motorcycle club, a Christian motorcycle club. I joined one, named that some years ago, just so I get the T-shirt. <laughs> it's a good name for a Christian motorcycle club, but it's less than desirable for a disciple of Christ. But it was a name that John lived up to. When he and his brother asked Jesus if uh, he wanted them to call down from heaven fire to consume the Samaritans for not offering hospitality to him on his way to Jerusalem, he was a man of passions. Well, James didn't have much of an opportunity to change his reputation as a son of thunder, being the first apostle to be killed for his faith. But John had plenty of time to mellow out, being the last apostle to die. And it was as an old man that he became known as the apostle of love. And his writings reflect that change. His gospel, written some 30 years after the other gospels, uses the word love 30 times. Mark only used it five times, Matthew 11 and Luke 12. We find love 36 times in John's first epistle, more than any other book of the Bible, and it's only five chapters long. Love became prominent, I think, in John's writings because he truly felt the love of Jesus, even referring to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. So who would dare to question his designation as the apostle of love? Well, it probably won't come as a shock, but I will. And I do so not to denigrate his title, but to address a misrepresentation of the apostle Paul, who is usually characterized as being hard-nosed and unloving. But who was it? that penned the love chapter, which has been read at weddings for nearly 2,000 years. It was the Apostle Paul. And a quick look at a concordance reveals that Paul used the word love in his writings 95 times to John's 76. Even if we factor in variations of the words such as loved and loves, it's a tie at 116 times each. But if Paul is the author of Hebrews, he wins. I say all this just to introduce our text for today where Paul reveals 
his heart of love. And he challenges us to have one as well. He writes, Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now in like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. Paul not only here exposes his heart, and challenges us to open ours, but he helps us understand how to open our heart. And the first step in opening a heart of love is open communication. Chapter 6, again, just the first part, the 11th verse. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Now, when Paul said his mouth had spoken freely, he wasn't saying he was loose-lipped and gossiped about everything. He was simply saying he was open and talked freely to the Corinthians about things on his heart. He was open when it came to sharing his thoughts, his feelings, his concerns, his hurts, and his frustrations. And as experience has no doubt taught us, A willingness to share ourselves with others is essential for love. And it's impossible to cultivate or reveal love for someone without open communication. But even more so, that communication has to be honest. Paul made that clear to us in Ephesians 4, 25, where he said we must lay aside all falsehood and speak the truth. You know, just saying what you think someone wants to hear in the hopes that it'll make them love us is doomed to failure. Wooing someone with beautiful words may sound romantic, but if the words are empty, it's an ugly lie. What we say must be an honest reflection of what we believe and feel. And sometimes that's not going to be what others want to hear. That love cannot be built, nor can it endure on pretense. Love requires that we communicate. And that we communicate honestly. Now, so many problems in our personal relationships can be traced to a breakdown in communication. In fact, all misunderstandings come from failures to communicate. That's what the word misunderstanding means. We didn't understand. There was a failure to communicate. Now, honest and open communication will not resolve all differences of opinion. Books have been written that declare that communication is the key to a good marriage, and open and honest communication in marriage is vital. But just communicating clearly how you feel about a situation does not guarantee that your mate will agree with your assessment or your proposed solution. Communication is important. But I'm convinced commitment is the real key to a good marriage. A commitment to stay together in spite of unresolved differences of opinion. But those opinions 
must be expressed. And husbands, your wife will not express her opinion on things that matter to you and be the helper God intends her to be if you don't share your thoughts, your feelings, and your opinions with her. And obviously a man is a fool if he won't give serious consideration to his wife's opinions. Many of the problems we face in our homes and in society at large come from a failure to communicate. So if we would bridge the gaps that exist between men and between man and God as ambassadors involved in a ministry of reconciliation, we must learn how to open up channels of communication. And that begins with our willingness to speak freely and honestly. We must share our thoughts and feelings, our joys and victories, our heartaches and our sorrows. We cannot build loving relationships if we won't. Love demands that we communicate. And open communication is the first prerequisite to cultivating that open heart Paul talks about. He says, our heart is open wide. You know, when we speak of someone with an open heart, we generally think of someone who is warm and generous with their affections, and, and that is true. But there's another aspect of an open heart that I think we need to explore, and that's the vulnerability of an open heart. When a heart is open, it's vulnerable. It's open to attack. The defenses are down. That can be dangerous. And quite frankly, some don't feel it's worth the risk. You know, the pain of past broken hearts makes them withdraw into tight defensive positions where no one can get through. Out of a sense of self-preservation, they build walls around their heart and close it off. First glance, it might seem that's the best way to go through life, free from the sorrows of a broken heart. But C.S. Lewis revealed the fallacy of that when he wrote, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will continually be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. <laughs> Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And he's right. We've got to risk it. We've got to open our hearts even to the possibility of abuse and pain because that's the only way for them to be open for love. Paul continues, you are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, 
The New International Version puts it this way. We are not withholding our affections from you, but you are withholding yours from us. I think what Paul is getting at here is that his love was not conditional. You know, even if his love wasn't returned and the Corinthians didn't do what he thought they should do, Paul would go right on loving them. He didn't withhold his love when they were unloving or disobedient. He accepted them for what they were and loved them in spite of what they did or didn't do. He accepted them as they were. They didn't have to measure up to his expectations in order to be loved by him, and that is vital. You know, love that's conditional can't last. I love you when you look so beautiful means I'll stop loving you if you ever get ugly. I love you when you behave means I don't when you misbehave. I love you because you treat me so well means I'll quit if you ever mistreat me. That's no way to love anyone. In fact, if we use love to manipulate people into doing what we want them to do, we don't love them, we love ourselves. Conditional love isn't love at all. In Romans 5.8, Paul says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love isn't conditional. He doesn't stop loving us when we're bad. In fact, he started loving us when we were bad. Now, we can break his heart, and he may have to discipline us or even punish us, but he never stops loving us. And that's the way we have to love. We can't stop loving people just because they do things we don't like or don't do things we wish they would do. We have to love them the same way God loves us, and that is unconditionally. That's the way Paul loved the Corinthians. But they weren't loving like that in return. So Paul goes on to speak of the need for an open response to love. He says, now in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us also. In order for love to grow, it has to be a two-way street. It must be returned. It cannot dead end. Now, you can go on loving someone who doesn't love you, and you should. Their response cannot be a condition for your love. But in order for love to do what love is supposed to do, it must be returned. You know, God loves every man who has ever lived. And he's constantly displaying his love for mankind in a thousand different ways. But until someone responds to that love, it won't be felt. They won't feel it. Until you start loving God back, talking to him, expressing your love for him, you won't feel loved by him. You know, my morning prayers almost always include 
Thank you. And I love you. And it's when I express that that I feel his love. Just saying that frees me to love him more. Don't hesitate to express your love for God on a regular basis. And express it to others as well. You know, we all need to feel loved as well as be loved. You know, I can assure you that as your preacher, I love you. But unless you feel it, it does you little good. Now, obviously, it'll benefit you in that I won't do unloving things to you. But you'll probably not read that as love. You'll just think, I don't notice you or I don't care. But if you start loving me back, responding to my love, if you open up to me and talk to me, our love will change both of us for the better. And that's what we need in our homes and in our churches. People who foster love by responding openly to whatever love they find. And in order to express that love to each other, we need to be together. This whole pandemic thing has, has been painful and hurtful to churches. I'm very, very thankful that we are able to go through media to get our message and our services out, particularly to those of our body who are unable to, to come during this time. They have special conditions, special needs. It'd be very dangerous for them to be here. But I pray that no one is staying home because they think it's just as good in their living room. It's not. It's not. You can't express love to us sitting there. And we can't express our love to you if you're not here. Love must be exchanged. Please, please, make every effort you can to be with God's people so you can love them and feel loved by them. We want love to grow. And in order for love to grow and to make it last, we've got to express it. We've got to be vulnerable. We've got to love unconditionally. And we must return it to everyone who loves us. You know, if we would be like Paul, the other apostle of love, we start by inviting God to search our heart and know it. We share with him our thoughts and confess to him our sins. And then, if we've not done so, we allow him to wash us clean in the waters of Christian baptism, setting us free 
from sin and selfishness, his spirit will then be able to take up residence in our heart and fill us to overflowing with the love of God. And there's no way we can love as Paul did without God in our heart. And Jesus came to earth to make that possible. Let's thank him for that now. Father, we thank you for revealing to us your open heart. For sacrificing everything. For risking everything to come and dwell among us. Men had worshipped you from afar for centuries, but it wasn't enough. You had to come and dwell with us before we could really feel your love. Thank you for coming. And help us, Father, to respond to that love openly and freely. Help us to take the risks to love unconditionally. Help us to experience the kind of love that you've shown to us, the love you enable us to feel and then to express through your, your spirit and through the warmth of your presence in our life. Thank you, Father. Help us to be a church that loves. Help me be a preacher that loves. Let us as a body be a family that loves openly and freely. In Christ's name.